freight efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 74, we're joined by Melvin Roth. Yeah, that last name might sound familiar, and yes, he's my father. Where we talk about his commitment to farming, making equipment buying decisions, the importance of data to improve operations, and the benefits of being involved in industry groups and associations. He also talks about he and my mother becoming conservationists and setting aside part of their farm for wildlife. Maybe most interesting is his answer to my regular question of guests. Do you remember how we became friends? Today we have joining us a really special guest. Um, his name's Melvin. It's with a Y, not an I. And his last name's Roth. Yep, you guessed it. This is Melvin Roth, my dad. It's a real pleasure having you on today, Dad. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's nice to be here. It's always nice to be around you. I always ask my guest when and how we became friends. Well, that seems kind of silly here, uh, but, uh, you know, you were here when I was born. Um, and You didn't have an option. Right, right. And uh, uh, if I remember right, mom was 18 and you were 20. 20. So um, tell us what was going through your mind when uh, when you and mom had your firstborn. Gee, well, I went through the line there. We had only been married a year, so um, uh, I had a lot of things going on in my mind. Having Mike was not one of them. Yeah, so uh, were you scared, excited? Um, how did that fit into, you know, how did I fit into your, your plan at those, at kind of a young age? Well, I had just graduated from high school, and uh, Marilyn and uh, my wife had just graduated uh, a couple months before we got married. So there really wasn't time in there to do much planning. Let me explain sort of how I came to ask you to be a guest here. I mean, I, I've always been thinking about sprinkling in um, some maybe interesting friends or so, some friends that maybe not everybody would think right off the bat. But last year I was asked to speak at a big event. Um, it was an Amazon event actually. And they asked me to to really go back into what drives me to do the the work that I do and, you know, saving fuel and emissions and, and moving goods around. And so um, what I found, Dad, was that many of those uh, things that I wanted to bring up had to do with you and uh, some of the things maybe you taught me. So um, if you don't mind, I'd like to go, I'd like to ask you really about three things that I want to explore. Uh, the first one is, um, you know, your commitment, you and mom's commitment at an early age to buy the farm. Um, it's a beautiful place, 150 acres um, in Ohio, and now it's been yours for 60 years. Um, tell us about that exact decision to uh, to take the leap and, and buy this place. Um, what was going through your mind and, and why did you do it? Well, like we mentioned, we got married at an early age. And uh, at the same time, this farm, which is around the corner from where we live, uh, come up for rent. And so I applied for it and uh, got the cash rent for a couple of years. And uh, one of the partners that uh, that owned the farm um, came to me one day and said, hey, we'd like for you to buy this place. Hell, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just made the decision to live here, not to buy it, really buy it. Well, we're going to have to sell it. So we would be willing to, to deal with you. And I said, well, what kind of dollars are we at talking about? I said, well, don't worry about the dollars. We'll just give you a cash rent, a uh, landowner's rent, and um, you can just pay us as it comes along. Well, I couldn't figure out where I was leading to, but I didn't have anything invested. So 
it wasn't a bad idea if I go ahead and jump on it. And so Marilyn and I both jumped. At that point, um, you were you'd started the farming. And so did you uh, did you see farming this land and any others that you could as your uh, as your career? I think many of you have uh, seen the movie State Fair. And um, I think it's Pat Boone has asked the question, how you become a farmer? And his answer was, well, one day you're a little boy out feeding the pigs, and the next day you're a man out feeding the pigs. So my dad had raised hogs on uh, his property. And as this opportunity come along, well, there's my chance. And so, um, yeah, the decision was made to uh, raise hogs at an early age. I started this one of my first enterprises was fixing the barn up and uh, having sows have pigs. At that time, it was a, a pretty big thing for farming to hand down one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And until kind of the 1970s when things got hard. And, um, you know, that's when I think, um, you know, money got tight, investment was high. I know you were part of helping to advise family farmers that were really struggling with their finances. Can you tell us a little bit about those times and, um, and how that influenced your thinking about running your own farm? Yeah, we, um, I belong to different organizations. Uh, one had to do with uh, hogs, a, a group that got together monthly and just talked about raising hogs. Um, that was one aspect of it. The other was through our church. Um, it was interesting to have youth leagues that would get together and just talk about life because we wasn't that much older than that. And so that worked out real good for us. And I say us, I'm talking about my wife and I. So as uh, farming got really challenging in the 70s financially, a lot of foreclosures on family farms and that sort of thing, um, were you prepared for that? And um, how did you see that affecting some of your friends? Whenever I started farming, uh, I was not prepared for it because we had just come off of years, 10 years of pretty good uh, prices. And so things just, whenever you use expanding at that period of time, you know, things went good for you. Then all of a sudden in the, in the 60s, the uh, Vietnam War had some of it to do with it, but there was just a negative attitude through the whole country, I felt. And uh, that flowed over into our willingness to jump ahead in things. There were a number of times where you made some pretty big financial investments in the property, um, uh, expanding the, um, you know, the hog operations, building a new house. Um, you know, those, were those investment decisions, you know, easy ones or hard ones? We did buy the farm. The uh, guy that I was talking about wanted me to, uh, to live here. And, uh, he was the real asset to me being able to, to buy the farm about, Ten years after we bought the farm, we built a house. Now I'm getting in my young thirties now in Maryland or late twenties. And that was kind of unheard of to borrow that kind of money to build a house at that age. But it worked. It was right during a period of time of affluent prices and it worked for a short period of time. This farm is really not only the place you live, but your work. And um you know, you're a small business owner, essentially, and going back into those days, making those investments in more buildings and more, um, you know, better equipment to, to farm the land, all those were 
you know, kind of some some big cost uh, and challenging decisions to make while you were um, really trying to trying to make money and survive. It was necessary to either get bigger, more efficient, or just do a better job of what he's doing to be competitive. And I saw where for me to expand my operation, I would have to borrow money, hire labor, and all those things seemed like it was going to be burdensome and not my lifestyle. So um, the opportunity came up uh, whenever I was about 45 years old to um, be in uh, adult educational program at the Upper Valley JVS to do farm management, I should say financial management with, uh, with people. A lot of people say I was just shoveling it through the computer instead of through the hogs. But anyway, in a lot of cases, it's real rewarding because I was able to do what I had kind of done all my life, and that's talk with people and feel like I was helping them answer their own questions. Using the experience that you had in, uh, you know, running your own farm, I'm sure. So one more question about the farm. Um, it's about 150 acres and you've been able to to be a bit of a conservationist or an environmentalist in some ways. You were able to to turn some some uh, tillable land into wildlife and you have, uh, you know, a lot of deer and pheasant, waterlands, the creek runs through the property. Um what what motivated you to 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 do that um, while you were uh, busy with all these other things? I think mainly whenever I first lived here, um, I really didn't see the benefits. It was just there. There was thistles to be mowed. There was fence rows to be cleared. Things that was just in the road of my hog operation. But as I got older and in doing these things, I come to realize conservation aspects of like Mike said we got a creek running through the place we built a cabin that the family really enjoys getting going to and um, right now we're in the process of changing to the next generation the financial liabilities and just make the transition take place easier while we're still living let's move to my second my second question I wanted to ask you about and that's about buying equipment when I was um, thinking about what to speak of at uh, this Amazon event, I, uh, I actually went through a bunch of old pictures and I found one where, um, and you probably remember this, I don't know what year it would have been, maybe the late 60s, early 70s, where you were trading in a combine, a harvester that had no cab, um, I don't know, maybe three row corn picker or two row um, with a uh, combine, you know, with a cab, you could have fresh air, it was larger, new, and, you know, the work I do at NACFI and we do at NACFI, a lot of it centers around the equipment. What kind of trucks do fleets buy to be more efficient, to help encourage um, uh, drivers to be more um, safe and, and successful and comfortable? So things like, um, you know, sleepers and, and um, uh, APUs to help them get a good night's sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, I, I, first of all, do you remember um you know, buying that combine. And it was kind of interesting that there's a picture where you saw the old and the new. It was kind of out with the old and in with the new. Um, I think your dad probably was around it. Uh, tell us a little bit about maybe that particular equipment purchase or, or how you viewed buying uh, new equipment. Well, that particular one we're talking about is uh, I'm going to go back one step and the purchase before that, when I was still in high school, dad and I uh, purchased together a uh, 
a, a pole type combine that uh, didn't have a cab on it and you didn't sit right up there at the header. You sat out in front and pulled it with a tractor. Okay, that gave you a stiff neck all day, half the night. It was just not that comfortable. Well, as we gained acres and farmed more ground, those hours become longer that we're just sitting out there doing a, a non-significant job. Not as non-significant, but it, it's hard. It, it was just, yeah. Baled hay with a, with a baler that we wire tied the bales sitting in the dust. And um, yeah, a lot of things changed. So with those more acres, we could afford to pay for a combine and and had the efficiency with it of a cab and uh, a lot of other things that Mike talked about a little bit. And so um, those were easy decisions to make. I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, that that had to be expensive, a lot of capital. Uh, you know, sometimes the banks were willing to help you and sometimes they weren't. Um, but I guess the the benefit outweighed the upfront cost. Sometimes the banks was willing to wait on you until you didn't make the payments. And then they become unwilling very quick. That's what happened during the late 60s and early 70s. In other words, we're doing going in 10-year increments. Uh, good years, 10 years of good years, and 10 years of not so good years, and then a couple of years of very poor. And those are the times that uh, farmers would get out leave room for the existing operations to get bigger with which uh help them make those decisions on i get better get bigger or get out that's really interesting and you know another area i wanted to chat with you on is um uh, data to help make those decisions and you know at NACFI, we're constantly saying um you know get data understand how you're operating your trucks, what's the fuel efficiency, how many miles do you travel a day, just really understand your trucking operations. And I, I was thinking back to, you know, as a very young child, I remember going into your office in the old farmhouse. So this is a long time ago, but the um, before computers, um, and I will mention that um, you, you use some of the very early spreadsheet software. I mean, uh, maybe the first user in the county or the state um, to use spreadsheet to automate what was all over the wall of that farmhouse office with um, different kinds of numbers and, you know, how many pigs per sow were healthy born, how, what kind of bushel per acre, dollar per bushel that you were getting um, from the markets. Uh, why was all that important um, early on? And, and what did it teach you about running a, a successful business? I guess it come at me pretty strong whenever, uh, I saw the need to uh, have productive data to make decisions on. And that's basically what we're doing is collecting that. If we don't do something with that data and make a change, then it doesn't amount to anything. We got to make changes according to the data. So therefore I wanted to have accurate data, which uh, leads me into, uh, we have a, a daughter that's, uh, that at that time was in a junior high. And uh, so she was anxious to help me be my secretary, as she said, but help me uh, collect that data. And so I felt like I had a good partner in that. To add on to that, I had always was interested in that and uh, talking with other farmers. I was kind of interested in helping them work with their own spreadsheets as the computers 
come into play. Ever since I was married, belonged to a uh, young farmers group that had classes at the JVS on uh, financial management. And the uh, person that uh, instructed that retired. And uh, he came out one day and asked me if I'd be interested in doing that work. And I said, well, you know, I already collect more data than what I use. Why should I collect any more? And that he tells that every once in a while. I did apply for the job and got the job of uh, financial management and adult education. And there I had the opportunity for 15 years after that to um, put together courses and classes to assist farmers in financial management and conducting their own lives. I think it's really fascinating. I think you started with, you know, what information and data do I need to know about my grain and livestock operation? You um, started that very pen and pencil and graph and protractor and, you know, on the walls of your office, you, um, you know, realized that, you know, today we talk about big data, which is like, you know, millions of times bigger than what we're talking about 60 years ago here. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you realized how that spreadsheet was going to help you take a look at that data and learn from it. And, um, and then ultimately you, you took that, um, to teach others, um, how to use data and so forth. So, um, you know, it's such an important story about, um, um, appreciating the need to measure things and then, um, being more efficient in that measurement, leading to some, some really good decisions that helped you, you know, run a business better and, um, have a better lifestyle. Anything more you'd add to that? One thing I could add to it, I remember, well, one day I walked into my cousin's office. Now, he was about 10 years older than me, so he was 10 years further along in life. And um, he was sitting there with a uh, calculator. It's plugged into the wall. It was a handheld calculator plugged into the wall. And I thought, well, I could sure use one of those. $58. $58 in the early 1960s. You know, you talked about the Young Farmers Club that you were in. I know you ended up becoming a um, a real leader in an organization that still exists. I actually saw their building in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, and that's the National Pork Producers. Um, I remember times where you and mom would take off for, I think, Kansas City, Missouri, and go to a, you know, a national convention. Um, and I'm sure there are others. Why was it important to you to get involved in groups like um you know groups that could help you um you know run the farm basically it was that need to be with other people that had the same like interests that i do even into or more so in today's society we've become so fragmented that we've lost that losing that ability to be with other people to share and i think that's probably the basic reason why i that and who's willing to take over the lead. You have that feeling of being able to groom them and educate them in what you're doing and then turn it over with them doing what they want to do the way they want to do it. Yeah, back, uh, you know, one thing I think about a lot back then, you needed to kind of physically go and talk to people that were sort of like you. Now we have LinkedIn groups with people communicating from all over the world. I mean, we, 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 um, at NACFI, we're the North American council for freight efficiency yet. Uh, just this week, I know our team talked to some people in China, some other people operating trucks in Australia. <laughs> so, um, you know, the world become, you know, maybe fragmented, but also you can find people with like interest. And so, um, 
I, I do think it's important. I mean, one of the things, if you know me, I'm out in the industry a lot traveling and going to to see these people, but that, that I know or have that like interest that you talked about any, um, particular examples that you recall where you were thinking about doing something and you shared it with, um, uh, any of those clubs or groups and they either encouraged you to, to go do something or not. Uh, I was in the, the phase of my life whenever I started working at the JVS, I was like uh, 45 years old. So my expansion fever that I had kind of got out of me by that time. And I really wasn't looking for that. It was more being able to instruct because I've been there, done that. And I think that was where my best asset was during that period, that period, period of time. Now I'm 82. So it's been there, done that. Yeah, I got to believe that, uh, you know, we still have family farms. We have farms that, you know, are are the size that you had. So, um, you know, in, in some ways, this has all changed a lot. And in other ways, it's um, it's been, uh, you know, it, it's the same, same as it's always been. It's uh, And so I, maybe if you don't mind, I, I we're kind of running out of time like we always do. But let me sort of summarize what I think I heard from you. Um, you know, we talked first about you know, being sort of bold and gutsy. And I think you were a little too modest when you talk about, um, you know, having the wherewithal to, to, to buy this farm and to, um, you know, make some of the expansion with equipment and facilities and all that. The second thing you talked about was uh, treating every decision, you know, with respect and around data. And I think that's, that's really key. A lot, a lot of times we sort of make decisions by our gut and, you know, our gut needs to be part of decision-making, but it doesn't, you know, I mean, it really is important to understand the data and then finally get involved with different groups. And um, throughout our conversation, you brought up times where I know you asked for advice from others and spending time with people that are also struggling and figuring out, you know, similar decisions to you. Do I have uh, kind of that right? Or is there something more you'd add? I think you pretty well summed it up. Kind of sitting here thinking back on my life, which I haven't maybe done much lately. But um, yeah, it's been good. A lot of success that Marilyn and I have had has been because of the sign of the times. I was asked the question a good bit, um, well, what happened to the farmers in the late 70s in the different time frames? I said, uh, my answer would be, well, they did the same thing that their dad did, except 10 years too late. You can make your own decisions but be careful of being too gutsy. Let's back it up with something that could happen. Very good sage advice there. So, um, hey, thanks so much for, for joining me. This has been a lot of fun, and um, um, I'm glad we did it. Thank you, Mike. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Rose and Friends. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support NACFI's work, please visit nacfi.org support and click on the donate button. Thank you in advance.